Welcome to the Laurel Heights Church of Christ video classes. I'm going to take us to the New Testament book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The Apostle John gave us five books of the New Testament. In addition to the Gospel of John, we have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and we have the book of Revelation. In each case, his intention is to lead his readers to faith in Christ and keep them there. Urge and direct us to keep that faith active and growing. As we accept John's testimony and we become engaged in the activity of faith, part of that activity will be to love one another just as God loves us. Listen now to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's 1 John 4 verses 7 through 11. Reading through the first epistle of John, you cannot miss John's emphasis on love. In chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, and here in chapter 4. I think if we could speak to John while reading his epistle, we might be prone to say, okay, brother, we've got the point. Let's move on to something else. But each time John introduces this subject, he has something a little different to say to us. Another dimension of this concept, this way of life identified by the word love that we have from God that should be exhibited in us. In chapter 2, John connects love with light. One who claims to walk in the light with God denies that claim if there's an absence of love. In chapter 3, John connects love with the new birth. Whoever claims to have been born into the family of God denies that claim in the absence of love. So, it is not just repetition. Each time John brings up this subject, he addresses a different feature of it. And in each passage, emphasizes that this love is essential, and therefore, in all of its dimensions, it needs our attention. Well, what is John telling us in this passage, in 1 John 4, 7 through 11? I believe he's telling us one of the fundamental reasons for this activity of love. Since it is not just automatic, that one who is baptized will practice this love. 
not imposed upon the baptized person in terms of their will not being involved. John not only lays down the obligation to love one another, he makes certain we know there is a powerful reason for this. See, the connection between the command and the reason is instruction we really need in order to be well engaged in this love. And I hope this study will stimulate good thought, good thorough self-examination, and then good growth in the activity of our faith and love. Start with that command that you see in verse 7 and at the end of the passage in verse 11. Let us love one another in verse 7. Then the follow-up in verse 11, we ought to love one another. You know, the world's first problem with this, what is love? It is very common for people to see or hear the word love and think only of how they feel toward people or how to romance. Not much beyond an emotion or a sentimental feeling. Not necessarily a long-term attitude. No commitment or action, just how you feel towards someone. Not even a virtue. But in most instances, people in the world see the word love and immediately they think only of the emotional component of it. I believe that's a widely accepted idea regarding love. Now, the Bible takes us to a whole other level in understanding what love is. It certainly has an emotional component. It certainly involves feelings or emotions. But the feelings or emotions have a basis in commitment and attitude and influence from God a long-term attitude that results in very specific commitments and choices and actions. Let me put it this way. When you care for someone so deeply, even if they hurt you, even if they are imperfect, even if they do not respond fully to your love, still you care for them. And you seek what is best for them. That's what the Bible is talking about, exemplified by the Creator Himself. So when the Apostle John says, love one another, there's much more here than just how you feel about somebody today. It is caring and seeking the best for the one you care for with such determination and commitment even if the object of your love doesn't merit such consideration, you do not turn the switch from love to hate. Six times in the first epistle of John, he says to Christians, love one another. It is not something a Christian takes lightly or dismisses or engages in temporarily. It's a command. John says, love one another here in verse 7. And if you will look quickly at the final verse in 1 John 4, it says, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother 
also. You know what that is? That's the language of obligation. Must, should, command. Now, in this passage we're looking at in 1 John 4, 7 to 11, John answers a very simple question. Why? Why must we love one another with this kind of love described in the New Testament, agape? Give us a reason, John. Of course, there are many reasons. John takes us to the main reason. Look back in our passage at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who is born of God and knows God loves. If you have the English Standard Version, love is from God. He's the origin of it. He's the perfection of it. He invented it. Think about being converted. I mean, becoming a child of God. Let's go back to that place. So you hear the gospel of Christ and becoming aware of your sin, you respond to be forgiven and you become a child of God. Hearing the gospel, believing in Christ, confessing that faith, you repent and you're baptized for the remission of sins, becoming a child of God. Now, think about that expression, child of God. As a child of God, having turned away from sin, you're now a member of God's family. You are a child of God. Once you become a child of God, you begin to participate in and take on the character of your father. A child lives under the influence of parents and typically imitates and learns and exhibits the traits of the parent. So as children of God, it is imperative that we learn and imitate and participate in the traits of our Father. And one primary trait of our Heavenly Father is love. What is exhibited by God should be exhibited by His children to the full extent of our ability. May I repeat? What is exhibited by God should be exhibited by His children to the full extent of our ability. <clears throat> what is obvious in God? Here's another way to say it. What is obvious in God should be seen in his children. So God is pure. God is good. God has integrity. God has grace. God is love. The fact that the essential nature of the Godhead is love means, among other things, his people should take on this fundamental virtue and cultivate it and exhibit it toward others. Could be said, the main point of having fellowship with God through Christ is to actively participate in his divine nature, including his essential nature of love. <clears throat> Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God. I'm going to say something I said earlier. When you care for someone so deeply, even if they hurt you, disappoint you, 
even if they are imperfect, even if they do not respond fully to your love, still you care for them and you seek what is best for them. That's what the Bible is talking about. The primary reason for us to attend to this is love is from God. And as members of his family, we are children of God. It's not automatic that we cultivate this love. It is not an effortless thing. We are taught, influenced, commanded to love one another as God loves us. Now, I need to take us to one more place from this passage. The love of God we exhibit toward each other expresses itself in activity. I want us to see in verse 9, in this the love of God <coughs> was manifest among us. Where would we be as needy sinners if God just had an inactive warm feeling toward us? If God just had an inactive good feeling about human beings, but he didn't do anything, where would we be? We'd be lost. But John and every other New Testament writer tells us God's love was active. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. John 3.16 comes to mind. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Over in 1 John 5.11, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Or Romans 5 in verse 4, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Far deeper. Far deeper than just feeling warm and good toward us. God did something. His love for lost human beings had initiative. He acted. He did something. It wasn't just a passing feeling. It wasn't just passive sympathy or romantic fondness. God cared so much about people on earth who were living in sin. He had in his perfect mind the intention to do something, not just feel something, but do something. And the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the account of what God did to save people he loved. In pagan, cultic, Eastern religions that conceive of multiple gods and manufactured idols, there is a view of deity that their gods are unmoved, that their gods don't care about their subjects, that the gods are actually annoyed by their subjects on earth. So in these false religions, the idea is the gods must be appeased. One must call out to them, scream to them, get their attention, then bring them gifts to bribe them and provoke them to change the weather or give them a good harvest. The true and living God is very different. God loves people. 
even when the people do not merit such consideration, even when the people defy God and rebel against them, against him, he really cares. And that care has been manifested. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God's love was active and had definite purpose, which was directed to our interest and our eternal welfare and glory. Listen, please, again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What does this mean to us today? What does this mean to us today? It means we must love one another because God loves us. And it means if that love is not active, it really doesn't exist as it is exemplified by God. We are, as God's children, to take upon ourselves the various moral qualities we see in our Father. Love is prominent in deity. And if that love, if that love we attempt is not active, it does not really exist. Here's a good description of it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What a familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 13. This is a description of the activity of love. If you have this love, you do certain things, and you refrain from certain things, and it is apparent in your behavior. If God lives in you, If you are a genuine recipient of salvation in Jesus Christ, if you're committed to the teachings of this book, the New Testament, there will be in your heart and conduct this love. John described and Paul described, Jesus described and lived, and that is in God. 
It will show up in you and in me because we are children of God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, without this, we are nothing. Now, at the end of this study, I need to say, what do I need to do about this? What do I need to change in me? What do you need to change in you? We thank you for being with us. Share these videos if you believe they have value and they exhibit what is taught in Scripture. Thank you.